Isaiah chapter 40 continues in that very same theme. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low, and uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry, and I say, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all of its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. In verse 10, Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arms rules for him, and behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. And he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. In verse 18, to whom then shall you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a careful, skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Verse 25, to whom will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and see who created these, who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, because he is strong in power. Not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not heard, have you not known, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to those who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. As we take a look at Isaiah chapter 40 uh, this morning, if you'll turn the word uh, to that place. I'm 51 years old. I became a pastor when I was 23. Well, if we were to be honest, I was given the title pastor at 23. Probably it was sometime later that I actually became a pastor in people's lives. But when you start as a pastor at 23, as a preaching pastor at 23, man, that, that, that's kind of early. And there's not a whole lot to stand on when you're 23 years old. And so well, what I did at 23 years old is what I hope to do today, and that is to stand on the Word of God. Uh, and just open up the Word of God and say, this is what the Word of God says. Uh, 
At 23, I didn't really have a whole lot of other options. I, I couldn't really stand on my wisdom. I said in the earlier service that when I was 23, I was one-third knucklehead. Well, someone said, well, what are you now? I'm like, well, come to think of it, still about one-third knucklehead. So I must have been about two-thirds knucklehead when I was 23 years old. I couldn't stand on my wisdom. And I couldn't stand on my experience. At 23 years old, I, I don't know that they said it out loud, but I'm sure that there were people in my church looking at me saying, I've got underwear older than you. I can't necessarily just say, just learn from all the things that I've learned and developed and shown and, and all the success in the different parts of, of my life. I, I, I didn't have any of those things. And so I stood on the Word of God. It's a great place to stand. It's a great place to start in ministry. And I hope that nearly 30 years later that I stand with the same conviction on the Word of God. I stand on the same foundation. On that's what I stand and I speak to you about each week that we gather. But today, I have a much deeper sense. I have a much deeper sense on where that Word of God lands. I have a much deeper sense on some of the aches and the pain and the wounds that people carry into church from a week-to-week -week basis. I have a much deeper sense of the people who are dealing with loss and with grief and with conflict and just with hard and difficult times that they are just unpacking in their life. And I have a much deeper sense of what it means to come to church when you are mentally and spiritually fatigued. And so when we say this morning that this is a sermon series that gives us a sense of headspace that helps us to overcome the mental and the spiritual fatigue that you may be dealing with, that I may be dealing with. Man, I don't know all of your stories. And I don't know the whole story of your life. But I do know that sometimes that we are dealing with some heavy things that are real. And so some of those things may be some things that just popped up out of nowhere in your life recently. Other things may be some deep heartaches that you've been carrying for some time. Some of them may be specific to this exact week. Some of them are things that just don't go away. In fact, in your, in your bulletin tab this morning, maybe you even want to just write down the thing that I'm carrying this week is. Maybe put your name on that and drop it in the box. Maybe don't put your name on it and just say, just to give you a moment to say, this is what I'm carrying right now. Maybe just write it down on the tab and, and don't turn it in. But but when we gather across this room, folks are carrying some heavy things. And it's exhausting. I've never run out of gas in my car. My dad did all of the time. And I think because my dad did all of the time, I kind of made a little mental note and said, let's, let's not do that. It's not as much fun as it looks. 
And so I've never run out of gas. Now watch me this week. You're going to see me on the side of the road. Uh, but, but, but I've never run out of gas. But boy, there have been some close calls. Uh, there have been some times when I pulled up to that gas station, and I mean it was running on fumes. How about you? Do you, do you, do you keep the tank full? Or do you let it run down a little bit? It'd be interesting to just kind of take a survey. If we lined up in church this morning from the person who has the most gas in the tank to the person who has the least gas in the tank and just kind of see where, where, we, where we stand on that. Are you the kind of person that rolls in with a full tank or are you running on fumes? Well, what if we're not talking about our cars? What if we're talking about our spirits and our souls? Some of you rolled in this morning with a full tank. Man, that is fantastic. That is great. That is awesome. But some others rolled in on fumes. And I want you to know that the only way to have your tank stay at the same level all the way through life is to keep your car parked. That's the only way. But in real life, we're going to have some ups and we're going to have some downs. And you're going to have some times when your mental and emotional and spiritual tank is going to be full and there are going to be some times when spiritually and emotionally you are running on fumes. And you may be here this morning and you may be on the fumes. But I have good news for you. I have good news for you. The good news this morning is that the place where we most need the help is the place where God wants to be at work in your life. That place, that wound, that ache, that difficulty, that place where you are barely limping along is the very place where God most wants to be at work in your life today. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we kind of take a few moments and just kind of set the scene this morning and just speak honestly about the fact that sometimes we're limping and sometimes we're hurting. Sometimes we're carrying a burden. Sometimes we are so exhausted we are just running on fumes. Now, Lord, now that we've spoken honestly about that, Lord, I pray that your word would speak into that specific part of our life and just the hour that we need it. Lord, I pray that we'd be ready to receive it and hear it this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 40 comes at a very interesting time in the people of Israel. It is a time in which the people are struggling. It is a time in which the people are having a really, really hard time. It is a crisis time in the people of God. In fact, what's happening is in the time leading up to this passage of Scripture, they are facing the collapse of their dear city of Jerusalem. They are facing the end of the kingdom that they know. Their world is crumbling around them. The enemy is literally at the gate. The prophets that they depend on to encourage them and refresh them are basically just saying whatever anybody wants to hear. The king has become a huge disappointment, and their whole way of life is at stake. But it is here that the word of God turns in Isaiah chapter 40. And there is a new word that comes here in Isaiah chapter 40 because this has been giving us an up-to-the-moment story of what's happening for the people of God. But now, moving forward, God points to the future. 
And as he points to the future, he pours out encouragement and hope. And in fact, what we find here at this turning point in the book of Isaiah, at this turning point of Isaiah, when it seems as though the darkness will prevail, that you can almost hear it. God reaches over and you hear the little click where God turns on the light. Just as it seems as though darkness is going to swallow us up, click. God turns on the light for us. And so as we look at Isaiah chapter 40, I believe that there is a word here for us. Those of us that are here that are running on fumes today. And so what I would want you to know in terms of your headspace is that I would encourage you to fix your eyes, to fix your mind on the God of all comfort. I would want you to fix your, your heart and your mind on the God of all comfort. When, when I was preparing this message, this was a message, this passage of Scripture in this series was really late coming to the table. I, I wasn't sure what this passage was going to be this week uh, because I really wanted to be able to speak to those that are walking through some discouragement and some hard times and some difficult things that are beyond just the surface. And so late in the week, I said, this is the passage. It's Isaiah chapter 40. And I was thinking about these verses at the end of the chapter where it talks about rising up on wings like eagles and running and not growing weary and, and walking and not fainting. And I said, that's where I want to get to. I want you to know, church, that you can rise up on wings like eagles, you can run and not grow weary, you can walk and not faint. But in order to prepare to preach the message that, that's at the end of the chapter, I, I needed to spend time at the beginning of the chapter. And so I said, let me make sure that I understand the context. Did you hear what it says at the beginning of the chapter? Comfort. Comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Now listen, there's a temptation in that last phrase there to listen to that and say, oh, it's double punishment for all of her sins. That's not what it's saying. It says your iniquity has been pardoned for all of your sins. You have received double. And what the double is, it is double forgiveness. It is double grace. Whatever amount that you have sinned, whatever amount that you have fallen short of the glory of God, whatever amount that you are broken, whatever the amount is that, that you have messed up, God says, I'm going to double that with my grace and forgiveness. Is that a good word or what? Now listen to what it says in verse 3. It says, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. Uneven ground shall become level. The rough places shall be made plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. And the mouth of the Lord, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What I want you to see there is that listen. When you're in the wilderness, the glory of God is going to appear. When you are in the desert, the glory of God can be revealed. Even when you're in the valley, the glory of God will show up. Even when there is a giant obstacle, a mountain or a hill that's standing in the way, it will be made low so the glory of God can appear. Even when the ground is unsteady and unstable, the glory of the Lord shall appear. Even in the rough places, the glory of the Lord shall appear because he is the God of all comfort. 
I want you to hear in verses 6 through 8 where there's a question that says, do the promises of God still count? The prophet says, God says to the prophet, cry out, what do I cry out? He says, all flesh is grass, <laughs> and its beauty is like the flower of the field. It looks good, but it withers and then it fades. But then in verse 8, it says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. He will always keep his promises because he is the God of all comfort. In verse 10, it talks about the picture of God coming with might and how his arm stretches out and he rules. But look at verse 11. This same warrior God who comes with might and with power and with strength. But in verse 11 it says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. That's your God of comfort. He will come to you like a shepherd and he will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom. You may be running on fumes. You may be limping. You may be carrying pain and hurt and disappointment and exhaustion and loss and grief, but let me tell you that the God of all comfort will pick you up like a shepherd and gather you in and draw you to his bosom. Let me, let me translate that for you. It, it sounds small, but this God of the universe wants to draw you in and give you a giant embrace, a hug of affirmation and of love from God himself. No matter how dry this moment may be, fix your mind on the God of all comfort. I would also look into this passage and point out to you that in terms of the kind of headspace that we need to have when we are running on fumes, I would also tell you that we need to fix our mind on the God of all power, the God of all power. You see, the people of Isaiah's day, they were a people who thought theologically. They, they, they filtered everything through a theological lens. What does this say about God? Now, you have to know that they thought theologically even when they didn't get their theology right. Okay, do you see the distinction between that? They are always thinking about this in terms of theology, even though a bunch of the time they completely came to the wrong conclusions. But what I mean by this is that whatever is happening around them, they are drawing a conclusion about what this says about God. So when they are inside of the city of Jerusalem, hearing the enemy armies clattering their army outside their windows. When they are dealing with a famine because they cannot get food because that enemy army is out there starving them to death. When they are inside of that city scared to, set their, to step outside of that because they were defeated, they, 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 they begin to ask some theological questions. Maybe our God isn't as strong as their God. Maybe 
our God just isn't sufficient enough for these kinds of moments. And so there was a crisis of faith that went on inside of that city. And they began to say, well, well maybe, maybe our God has expired. Maybe the, the time of the promises is gone. Maybe, maybe our God isn't strong enough. And that's where in these passages here in verses 12 to 17, God begins to talk about his role as the creator. He begins to talk about the fact that he holds in the palm of his hand all of the oceans of the earth. He talks about in verse 25 about the starry heavens. He talks about every single star is in place because he put them in place. He gave them a name. He gave them a number. He gave them a course. And they show up every single night on time because the creator, God, put them in place and controls it. And he is powerful enough to hold it all in place. And so you may be worried about what your God can do on the battlefield, and you may be worried about what is going on, but you are to be reminded that our God is so much bigger than what happens on this one battlefield that you are trying to understand. Now, one of the things that I want to make clear this morning, there is no sense in which I want to tell you that your struggle, your difficulty, your hardship, your wound, your ache, your disappointment, there's no part of me that wants to say that that's small. But what I do want to say is that your God is big. What I want you to know is that that God who puts all of those stars in place, is powerful enough to handle whatever your stuff is. You see, I think sometimes we come to thinking our own theology, and we probably wouldn't say this out loud, but we do worry sometimes. Is my stuff too big for God to handle? And maybe there's even a little bit of a doubt that comes into play that says, listen, I don't think it's too big for God to handle, but just in case, I'm not going to put either of us in an awkward place, and so I'm going to just step back. I don't want to put God on the spot just in case it's too big. I want you to know that your God is powerful enough to handle the hardest things inside of your life. The people of Israel in Isaiah's day also had another struggle not only were they trying to figure out what to do with their God, but I think sometimes they did look over the fence. It seems like, well, their God seems to be working better than our God. Uh, they, they seem to be winning. Uh, somebody else's plan on how they approach this and handle this and deal with this seems to be working better than ours. And so what they do is that they begin and they continue to do is to seek after idols the idols of the Canaanites, the idols of the Babylonians, the gods of anyone that they can find, and they begin to make idols. Now, if you ever really want to make God angry, and you don't, but if you ever really want to make God angry, start playing with idols. Start playing with idols. God's response in this moment is such deep offense. You're going to worship what? He begins here in verse 18. He says, to whom will you make, 
Will you liken God? Will you compare God to? What, what, what kind of likeness, what kind of thing are you going to make that's going to be your substitute for God? And he says in verse 19, an idol? Really? An idol? That's your plan to replace me with? Is an idol? He says you hire a craftsman and he makes an idol and he pours gold over it and he casts it for silver chains. You can even wear it around your neck if you want. And if you don't have enough money for that, then you choose wood, but you try to find a really, really good wood that won't rot, at least for a little while. And he says, you hire a craftsman who will make you an idol. And then at the end of verse 20, it says, that won't move. You have invested your money. You have invested your hope. You have invested your theology, your hope on a chunk of wood that doesn't move, that you get to put it on whatever shelf you want to put it on. <laughs> a couple chapters over in Isaiah 44, he talks about the fact that you cut down a tree. It's a great looking tree. You got a great piece of lumber and with part of it, you make a bowl and with part of it, you make an idol to worship. With part of it, you make table and chairs and with part of it, you anchor your theology on it. God says, I made that. I made you. I made that. Don't worship a chunk of wood. Now, you and I have a temptation sometimes to think that idols are something from far away and long ago. But the truth is that we still have a tendency to worship things that somebody made. Whether it was made in Silicon Valley or Detroit, or New York, or Harvard, or Baton Rouge, things to get made. And we still anchor our lives and say, that's going to do it. Oh, don't make that mistake when you have the God of all power who put those stars in the sky, named them, numbered them, and gave them their courses and make sure that they show up on time every single day. Because the God who puts the stars on time, he will be on time in your life. One more thing. In the face of exhaustion and running on fumes, fix your mind on the God of all the details. The God of all the details. If you take a look at this in verse 27, it says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from my God. The other question that they're dealing with, I know God could, but maybe he won't. I know God can do these things, but for my life, will he really do that? Does God really care what's happening in my life, and my experience, and my family, and my job, and my church, and my neighborhood? Does God care about that? Why do you say? O Jacob, why do you speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded from my God, by my God. Have you not heard? Have you not known? The Lord is the everlasting God. We're not dealing with a finite God that says, I've had too many people deal with me today. I can't handle another person today. Now, you and I get to that place. But our God is never going to say, listen, I've, I've reached my max today on how many people that I can deal with, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint 
or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And because of all of those things, because of all of those things, those who wait on the Lord, He will renew their strengths. And even when our strength, as young people, even when our strength, when we were at our very best, we break down. But he says, those who wait upon the Lord, he will renew their strength. And they will mount up on like wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. weary. They shall walk and not faint. The premise to Isaiah chapter 40 the premise to the message this morning is that God reaches out and cares for you. God reaches out and cares for you. Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to them. Let them know that their sins are forgiven. Double whatever their sin ha has been. Uh, let them know that he will pick them up like a shepherd and hold them and draw them to his bosom. Let them know that he will give them the strength that they need for this day. Our God reaches out to you and seeks to care for you. And so if you came in this morning lonely, tired, exhausted, forgotten, whatever it may be that you're carrying. The God of all of those stars reaches out to you and cares for you today. And you need to receive that and embrace that reality of a God who cares for you that much. But I would also tell you that there is no greater way in which God reaches out to us and cares for us other than the fact that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. In fact, there at the beginning of the chapter, it says your iniquities, your sins, your rebellion, your mistakes, your brokenness, they are pardoned. And for whatever sin you have, God says, I have doubled that amount of grace and forgiveness for your life. How does that happen? It happened because Jesus came, took on flesh, dwelt among us, lived life here, carried the sins of every person who has ever drawn a breath, and died on a cross to satisfy the cost of our sins. And if you're here this morning and you've never received that kind of gift, that kind of double grace and double forgiveness, then today's the day for you to do that. I never know what holds somebody back from saying yes to Jesus in that way. I don't know what's been a barrier for you. Maybe it's just never been clear. Maybe you're afraid of what you'll lose. Maybe you're not sure that whether God would really forgive you. But let me tell you, you have nothing to lose other than the opportunity to know the God of all comfort, the God of all power, the God of all the details of your life. And yes, when he talked about the forgiveness of sins and to become a part of his family, yes, he was talking about you. He was talking about you. 
And if that becomes clear in your life today, then let me lead you in prayer so that you can say yes to him like many, many others have done across their lives.